that's loads better. And that does seem like a very long passage. We're going to use the first seven verses of the vineyard to help us understand what's going on and then see how that explains the rest of the chapter. So please uh, don't worry, you're not going to miss lunch uh, with uh, such a long reading. Isaiah 5 was written to help us taking God's truth and take it to heart. Now, what is truth? That is probably a more important question than it might sound. Uh, children, on your sheet, I'm hoping you're having a go at the senses of Mr. Potato Head as we think about what is truth. We've got so many senses. Our eyes, imaginations are bombarded by images every day. Multiple voices, sometimes whispering, sometimes shouting, sometimes commanding, persuading, relentless. Emotions tugged this way and that. How do we make sense of what is going on? How do we make, how do we decide what is truth to accept, what is false to reject? You may remember over the last few weeks, Isaiah chapter 1 to 4 has been warning us that our assessment of this truth is flawed. Our hearts are naturally sinful. Our hearts don't want to accept the truth, God's truth. But if we follow those sinful hearts, not only will we be deceived, but it will destroy us. Into that context, did you see Isaiah 5 is a love song from God? A God who wants us to accept, to help us to accept the truth. A God who is able to help you to flourish as God created you to. Children, we're going to see this passage has got a lot about grapes. So hopefully you're at the bottom of page one trying to make your picture better than the picture I've printed out there for you. Isaiah 5 draws together the first four chapters into a love song. Did you see that in verse 1? I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Now, good love songs powerfully affect our hearts. So Isaiah wants you to leave this morning feeling differently. As you look down by verse 3, we realise that Isaiah is singing a cover version of God's song. Verse 3, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me, God, and my vineyard, God's people. For verse 7, God is the vineyard owner and God's people are the vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And this love song that we're going to be looking at has two clear sections. The first section relentlessly shocks us. And we're going to spend most of our time in verses 1 to 7, where we see that we are the problem. And the second section cries out to us, verses 8 to 30, that God is the solution. 
So let's start in the first section. Verses 1 to 7, we are the problem. I don't know if you noticed, but at the heart of these verses are two questions, and they're both in verse 4. What more could God have done? And when God looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now, as the passage goes on, it reveals the answer, which turns out to be a shocking truth. And because it's shocking, the answer is signposted by the refrain, now you, in verse 3, and now I will tell you, in verse 5. It's trying to get our head in the game for the shocking answer. And now get your head out of the clouds. Now you, get your thinking straight. So that you can face up to the shocking answers to the questions I'm asking you in verse 4. So, so let's see that in a bit more detail. Uh, let's start with the first four verses. Uh, a bit of background. For 300 years, God has perfectly been nurturing his people. God couldn't have cared for his people more than he had done. But there is a shocking truth that God's love has exposed. A shocking truth that Isaiah's readers were finding hard to accept. Our children, as you listen out for this truth, hopefully you're on the second page, second page looking at God's provision. For these verses paint a picture of God's perfect provision. Did you see verse 1? A perfect place, a fertile hillside for the vineyard, nutritious soil, a slope that means the water will run away rather than flooding. Verse 2, perfect production. He dug it up, cultivated the soil, cleared of stones and cut out a wine press as well. God put in a built-in wine press so the freshest grapes could hit the production line as quickly as possible. Still in verse 2, God used perfect products and planted it with the choicest vines. And the middle of verse 2, there was perfect protection. He built a watchtower in it. God built in a state-of-the-art security system. Now, the original listeners would know in their hearts that this was no exaggeration. God did everything possible to give his people then a perfect life. Maybe you're starting to see what they're going to have to accept. Verse 3. Judge between me, God, and my vineyard, my people. Can you see, it would have been madness for the vineyard to blame this owner. And they knew it. Madness for God's people to blame God for their mess. Verse 4, what more could I, God, have done for it? Answer, nothing. End of verse 4 then. Why did it yield only bad grapes? And here's the shocking truth. Just as the root of their mess then was their sinful nature, so with us, so with everyone, so with all humanity, the root of our mess is our sinful nature. As Bex was reminding the children, reject God and we choose to be in charge instead is what sin is all about. 
Now, children, you may need some help with your spelling as you fill out the problem on your sheet. But adults, remember back to Isaiah a few weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 2? I reared children and brought them up, but they rebelled against me. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm embarrassed that I am the source of the problem in my life. I'd much rather it be Novak Djokovic's fault or Boris Johnson. But our nature at heart is to ignore God. Our sin is the source of the mess in God's world. And that mess does cause pain. And because of that pain, we often sit in judgment over God. God, you're all powerful, you're perfect. Look at the pain you've brought on me. But look again at verse 4, the last two lines of verse 4. God exposes the truth. God's love, without our sin, would have produced good grapes. But if you look carefully, these people are producing grapes. We often look in the mirror and think, well, I look okay. I'm not as bad as some people I know. And yet, God, you brought this pain on me. Do you remember back again, chapter 1, a few weeks ago, verse 11? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? Do you remember back then, they were dripping in religion. In today's terms, they'd have been going to church twice a week, taking communion. Every time they met, singing the latest songs. They would have known that song Josh taught us. Serving on every rotor going. God, we're doing all this and why are you making my life such a mess? But God exposes the truth. The painful truth that the source of our problem is not God. It's not God's provision for us. It isn't my bank balance. My problem isn't my looks, though my wife might disagree. It isn't the NHS or Grace Church. Yes, you have very real problems. Yes, pain is very, very real in this world. But they are symptoms of an underlying illness. Isaiah 5 exposes the source of our problem is the sin inside us. Verse 4, look carefully at those grapes. I looked for good grapes. Why only bad? The literal root root of the word for bad grapes there is stink grapes. (laughs) Thank you, Kyle. Children, while we're talking about stink grapes, see if you can colour in those grapes on your sheet. And see if you can do it without crossing the outline, which I think is quite difficult. Give it a go, Carl. The source of the problem is the vineyard. Sorry, the source of the problem in the vineyard is the vine. Now, please be clear here. God isn't saying the problem in the world is his enemies. The problem in the world is those non-Christians out there. No, This love song is to us. The stink grapes God is lovingly unmasking is God's people, us here, sitting inside Grace Church Dustin. 
get our head in the game, verses 1 to 4, and accept the shocking truth that God exposes. Your sin is the source of your problems. Again, if you're still listening and you're fuming, I'm not trying to make you angry. This is a love song. The message here is supposed to be loving. Please come and talk to me afterwards if I'm making you feel angry. But what I am saying, what Isaiah 5 is lovingly pointing out, is God describes me, us, in our nature, as stink grapes. Imagine the wine that a stink label would produce. You'd gag at the smell, you'd vomit at the taste. And doesn't that beg, therefore, our second little subsection in verses 5 to 7? What should God do? Verses 5 to 7. Now I tell you, get your head in the game. The shocking truth, verse 5. What am I going to do? It will be destroyed. God must destroy sin. Do you remember, God should be celebrating with a vintage wine. But instead, God has no choice but to destroy stink grapes. And he has to destroy every last one. Just leave one stink grape and that would sour any wine produced. Kids, do you remember what we were doing earlier? One drop of Owen's colouring discolours the whole of the milk. And yet, ironically, don't we get angry with God judging us? Isn't that ironic when our sin is the source of the problem? Our sin is destroying God's perfect world. And so God must destroy sin. Children, as you listen to us uh, chatting about God removing sin from the world, you should be drawing now on page three what you'd like God to remove from the world in that box. Verse five, did you see God must remove his protection? Verse five, now I tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. Did you spot there was double glazed protection there? Both the hedge and the wall and it's got to come down. Verse 6a, God's got to down tools on production. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. Verse 6b, God stops nurturing these stink grapes. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. And obviously this is God, so this isn't a hosepipe band, this is a drought. Verse 7. The sin in our hearts is seen and it works out as ungodliness in our lives. End of verse 7. And God looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries, cries of distress. The original Hebrew poetry in verse 7 is really powerful. The Hebrew word for what God looks for and what God finds is the same, or sorry, not the same, it sounds the same. Just like the grapes and the stink grapes in verse 4 look like grapes, what God is looking for and what God finds can appear so similar. We can lie to ourselves that they're the same. But what God finds from stink grapes is ungodliness. And ungodliness must be destroyed. Let me give this a go. Verse 7. 
God looked, God looked for mishpat, justice, but discovered instead mishpah, bloodshed. Mishpat, mishpah, they sound so similar. God looked for zidaka, righteousness, but found instead azaka, cries. Zidaka, azaka, they sound so similar, but what they produce is disastrously different. Our sinful nature is so easy and I want to hide it even from myself. But God in his love unmasks that our sin produces destructive ungodliness. Ungodliness unleash leads to sorrow and pain. Don't let that sorrow and pain turn you against God. Don't make your loving God an enemy, as Richard was reminding us last week. We want to face God with a righteous fear, not a dread and terror. For God is the only one that can save us and can destroy ungodliness. Also, uh, did you spot God's loving design to help us is a vineyard, not a pot plant? Children, I'm hoping that you're at the bottom of page three there and you're scribbling out. We are designed to flourish in a vineyard packed with vines. And now I am aware, I'm a doctor, I know that sounds all wrong in COVID times. But it is why, while it's legal and it's safe, we will desperately try to carry on meeting together. Now I know many have been hurt by destructive ungodliness in church. So understandably, we feel safer in our own little pot. But remember, my pot and the number of vines isn't the source of my problem. My sinful heart is the source of my problem. And my ungodliness and my sin will flourish unchecked in my own little pot. God designed a vineyard, a church, a family for a purpose. My sinful nature will strive to hide my ungodliness. God has designed his people, a family, to help us to unmask, to be aware, to expose the truth of our ungodliness and our sin in Isaiah 5. So we want to help each other expose that truth. Help each other with the pain of destroying ungodliness. Do you remember we often refer here to Grace Church Dustin as a hospital for sinners? As we depend on God, God gives us a desire to help each other destroy sin. The desire, rather than to destroy each other in anger and bitterness, but actually to help each other through the pain that sin and ungodliness brings. Maybe there are some here who need prayer for that desire in their heart. Remember God's promise that we heard earlier from Bex, and it's from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as bad as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's loving promise in chapter 118 is unstoppable. God's vivid vineyard love song exposes the truth of our problem 
that God must, will destroy sin and ungodliness so that our sins can be as white as snow. So though they are crimson, they can be like wool. But through that loving destruction, God is driving us to repent, to turn back to our loving God, to the only one who can do that work of destroying sin and helping us to destroy our ungodliness. But that destruction does involve sorrow and pain. I remember slightly painfully walking back from a church picnic quite a while ago. I watched a toddler playing, and as they played, they ran out into an oncoming car, they bounced off the bumper onto the roof and landed on the tarmac behind. Oh, I'm going to be a little emotional than I remembered. I was a young doctor at that time, um, and so I cared for her till the ambulance arrived. I remember watching her over the next few weeks making a full recovery. But here's the point of my painful story. From then on, whenever she came anywhere near a road, whatever game she was playing, her hand went straight out into her parents' hand. Grace Church Dustin, our sin is even more painful than a road traffic accident. Do you feel the problem of our sin in verses 1 to 7? If so, repent and put your lives back into our loving God's hands. God is and will destroy sin and all the resulting ungodliness that painfully flows from it. But repenting means hating what God hates. It means destroying what God hates, even when that's inside of me. And that's what verses 8 to 30 goes on to sing about. And we're going to accelerate through these verses. Uh, the picture language ends... And we see God applying repentance into their lives. So we're in verses 8 to 30. God is the solution. Again, remember, Isaiah 5 is a love song. Verses 8 to 30 is a passionate lament at their lives. Uh, the lament is structured around the phrases, woe to. Uh, now, that's not a phrase we use every day in Upton. Uh, the phrase, woe to, conveys inconsolable grief to. And there are three pairs of woe to. Interweaved in that lament are the consequences. And the consequences are structured around therefore. And there are two pairs of therefore. So three pairs of lament interweaved with two consequences. All become clear and I can see your brow furrowed. <laughs> Each consequence described God destroying what they should lament. God is crying for them to come back to him, the solution. Hence, verses 8 to 30, God is the solution. And children, you should now be on the last page of your sheets. Hopefully you're in the word search. Adults, if you've been drifting off, 23 verses in five minutes. I need you to concentrate. It's worth it. And the summary's on your sheets. Especially... Especially with you, the furrowed brower, and you need to concentrate. First pair of laments is in verses 8 and verse 11. They lament the ungodliness of our self-centred society. Do you see that, verse 8? 
laments our chasing after materialism. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left. And verse 9, we're never satisfied when you go chasing after that. And then verse 11, did you see there? Laments chasing after hedonism or chasing after pleasure. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks. Stay up late at night till they're inflamed with wine. This is the party culture, drowning our sorrows in pleasure. Verse 12, godliness is received from God. You don't go chasing after it. It's received as we do God's work, verse 12. Giving, serving, helping each other. Ungodliness tries to chase after joy for ourselves, and it's never satisfied. Therefore, verses 13 and verse 14, we get our first pair of consequences. God humbles this ungodly society. God lovingly humbles them to bring him back to himself. Only verse 12, the work of God's hands can help us live godly lives. Verse 16, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the Holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Only God can give us the joy of verse 17. Isn't that such a wonderful picture there of living for what is right and good? We need to keep moving. The second pair of laments is in verse 18 and verse 20. And we're going deeper now into the way the society lives. It goes into the deluded ethics behind the society. Verse 18 grieves us hiding our ungodliness. Uh, verse 18, it's a picture of a horse and a cart. And as the horse is separated from the cart by ropes, so we separate ourselves from sin by deceiving ourselves. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. Doesn't the digital age make these verses very contemporary? Our digital sins don't seem so bad because we don't see the effects of them firsthand. So verse 19, we can say, oh, that's not going to affect me. Yes, God, you carry out your work. You destroy ungodliness thinking that it's not going to include me. But if verse 18 is crying out again ethical deceit, hiding our ungodliness, then the other of the pair, verse 20, cries out against ethical delusion, justifying our ungodliness, justifying the evil that we need to do. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Verse 20 really could have been written about today. Today the only wrong path is the one that says there is a right and a wrong. On to our, our last, our third pair of laments, and we're going even deeper. From the ungodliness and the ethics behind their society, we go right down into their soul, their spirit. They lament the spiritual arrogance of their souls. Verse 21, they think they can decide what is good and bad. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. It's where our feelings start to define what is right and good. Verse 22, 23 deplores they think they can play God. We think we can decide what is just and unjust. So verse 23, woe to those who acquit the guilty with a bribe, but deny justice for the innocent. Now surely, 
it's not surprising that if we've got a self-centred society with deluded ethics, then surely we're not going to have a godly spirit. It is only God that is right and just. And therefore, our last pair of consequences, verse 24 and 25, God promises to send an unstoppable judgment. Sin and ungodliness will be destroyed. Sins as red as crimson will be turned as white as wool, as white as snow. Initially, God did that back then by sending the Assyrians and then the Babylonians to bring his people back to himself. God, through his word, is the only one that can help us to live out social, ethical and spiritual godliness. So there, the second half of verse 24. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Christ Church, do you see that their stink fruit is our stink fruit? What they lament... We need God to help us lament. Their ungodliness is our ungodliness. And I will delude myself unless I turn back to God, using his word to help me. Isaiah 5 is a love song of God exposing ungodliness in me, in you today. We deceive ourselves if we think it's not there. And God wants to help you to destroy it. Isaiah is a love song. Isaiah 5 is a love song that we can sing together, lament together. Persevering together to destroy ungodliness because it will be painful. And we need each other to persevere through that pain. If God's cry to lament ungodliness hits home with you today... Let's take some action. Think about who you could meet with to help persevere with biblical godliness. Please do something. Talk to them about it. Put a date in the diary. If you feel the pain of this chapter, let's use that pain to turn back to God, to repent and to make a difference in our lives. Let's sum up. Verse 2, God is preparing a vine that bears the good fruit of verse 7. The godly fruit of righteousness and justice. Now, since I die as day, God has revealed the vine. In John 15, Jesus says that that good vine, that vine that Isaiah 5 sings of, is Jesus. Jesus says he is the branch of the Lord that Richard reminds us of. In Isaiah 4, verse 2, last week. Children, hopefully you're at the maze at the bottom of the last page. I pray that Isaiah 5 helps you to feel how important this message, this love song is. Important enough. You feel it's important enough to plan to meet up. So actually, we take action. We meet and encourage each other with the biblical Jesus. So that that biblical Jesus can prune our ungodliness, can grow godliness in us. Isaiah 5 is a love song from God to challenge us. It's a loving challenge because sin and ungodliness is so deadly and so painful. 
deadly enough to drive us to repent, to cling on to Jesus, to put Jesus in control of our lives, to hate what Jesus hates, even if it's inside of me. Remember, Jesus renews us to be his vineyard, not a pot plant. Let's strive to make Grace Church Dustin a family, a family that comes together, helps each other as Jesus painfully prunes us, encourages each other to grow in godliness, righteousness and justice that will help us to flourish and produce good grapes. I want to leave us just with a, a minute of reflection to just think, how does Isaiah 5 leave you feeling? And I want to do that by just reading that question from verse 4. So just a minute's silence, and I leave you to reflect on the question of verse 4. When God looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? <laughs>